0: this is the podcast where tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world and now let's hear from tammy today on the intentional fundraiser podcast i am honored to be talking with crystal cherry Crystal is the president and executive consultant with The Board Pro. And at The Board Pro, they believe that the most successful organizations understand that who's at the top really matters. Crystal coaches and trains governing and working boards to harness and optimize their individual and collective talents and resources to truly make an impact on their organizations. Her speaking topics, training and consulting services at The Board Pro, include board recruitment, governance, fundraising, conflict resolution, diversity, equity, inclusion, access and belonging. Wow. Like what doesn't she do? <laughs> Hi Sammy. Hello. Hello. So Crystal's so accomplished. I'm gonna add just a little more background. <laughs> so prior to founding the Board Pro, Crystal spent 23 years as a nonprofit fundraiser serving higher education institutions, seminaries, and human service organizations. Her master's degree is in counseling from Hampton University. She has a bachelor's in liberal arts, also from Hampton, and she is a contributing writer to a profoundly insightful book about anti Black racism in the charitable sector. The book is called Collecting Courage, a collection of stories about anti-Black racism in the charitable sector. And more about that in a moment. Her most recent accomplishments include writing a children's book called Mac and Cheese. That's (laughs) C-H-E-E-Z. (laughs) about being different and being different is okay. I shared with uh, Crystal that I bought a copy and read it to my grandsons. And it was just so beautiful and such a wonderful conversation ensued. So thank you, Crystal, for writing that beautiful book.
1: Well, thank you for buying it and for reading it to your babies. I really appreciate
0: that. Oh, yeah. We (laughs) all need to read it to our babies. So welcome to the show. Support for this show is brought to you by Bloomerang. Our friends at Bloomerang really understand fundraisers, which is why they make donor management and online fundraising software that nonprofits love to use. To learn more and to join them in their vision of building a world inspired by giving, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional fundraiser.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, well, we're excited to have you. All right. So I'm going to jump right in. So one of the many impressive things about you, Crystal, that really inspires me the most is what you shared in Chapter 3 of the book, Collecting Courage. Yeah. Will, will you tell the story of the epiphany that led you to found the fabulous female ah. fundraisers, <laughs> uh, that, that membership organization, and eventually...
1: The board pro. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for asking. So yeah, um, that, uh, that was such a wonderful experience to be part of that project. You know, I had spent of the 23 years or 24 years I, I spent as a fundraiser, there were so many ups and downs. You know, there were so many joyful moments where I worked for really wonderful organizations and had some really beautiful memories to share and to um to ponder on. Uh, but I also had some some rough times. I had some times when um, I didn't feel supported. I had some times where I was overlooked. You know, I was fired three or four times throughout my career, fired and or, or laid off. And so, you know, it was hurtful. It, it was hurtful to have to go through those things. And I kept thinking, it must be me. Maybe, maybe it's me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think as women, we go there. We always think it's
1: us. <laughs> couldn't imagine doing anything else, but I just couldn't, I kept thinking it must be something that I'm doing wrong. So I, you know, I, I had this love hate relationship with fundraising. So many times I said to myself, I'm going to do something else. I don't care what it is. I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to become a school guard. <laughs> 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 I'm going to, I'm going to work at Target. I don't really care. Um, but I could never get away from it. I kept going back because at the end of the day, I really found purpose in the work that I was doing and I really felt like my work as a fundraiser was God work, right? And so, yeah. you know, I'm a passionate person, I'm a mission-driven person, and I want to, you know, like so many of us, I want to change the world. So anyway, so I finally came to a place to realize that, you know, life is about peaks and valleys. Uh, and that's true for your fundraising career. You're going to have some peaks and you're going to have some valleys. and. Yes. I am so grateful for the Valleys because they have brought me to who I am today. And I realized along the way, even though there were some sad moments, there were some wonderful moments and I met some wonderful people. But each time I had a challenge, each time I experienced adversity, it strengthened me and it made me realize that I'm a survivor. Yes. <laughs> Despite whatever setback I had, you know, I came back stronger and stronger. And so at some point, I realized that I was joyful. I was joyful for the experiences I had had. I was joyful even for those folks who I felt like had trespassed all over me <laughs> because they forced me to really take a look at myself and just remember how awesome I was, which is, you know, which is why I had to pull out my Bravo box in the story. <laughs> It's yes. the story I share that I uh, I went and pulled out my Bravo box, which is my box with all of my awards and my accolades, and I had to kind of remember, remind myself that I had done some really w- wonderful things in my career, and to not let anyone else's definition, of who they thought I was, uh, determine what my career path was going to be and how, my, how successful I was going to be in my career. So it took it took all of that. It was an evolution of self. It was certainly not something that happened overnight. I shed many tears. I was in many therapy sessions, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, it also resulted in some wonderful things. So I remember on uh, a couple of years back, it was one of those days I was having a rough day where I felt like I want to blow up the building. You know, you had those days where you just like, and I called a girlfriend and I said, I really need to talk. I want to get out. I just, can we get out of the office? Can we go have coffee? And so she said, yes. And so we did. And we just talked and I shared with her some of the experiences I was having at work. And she also shared that she was having similar experiences. And I was like, oh my God, you too? (laughs) There's comfort sometimes in knowing that you're not alone. And at the end of that meeting, we both admitted how much better we felt as a result of that, of of us being able to share. And then we said, you know, we should do this again. And let's see if, you know, we should invite other people. And um, so next time we met, I invited a friend, she invited a friend. And the same thing happened. And we all, you know, hugged each other and was like, oh my God, we so love being able to just be our authentic selves and be able to share what we fit. So anyway, as a result of that, kept meeting and meeting, inviting more and more people. And then the next thing I know, I remember the day that I kind of looked around and said, oh my God, there are like 26 people here. <laughs> really, we had reserved a whole, a whole room in, in, the, in the restaurant for our group. And it, it just became a thing. And then when uh, the pandemic hit, We decided that we should start meeting online. And after a couple of meetings of doing that, someone said, you know, I have a friend who lives in some other state who would really benefit from being in in this group. Do you think we should open it up? And I was like, uh, sure. And so uh, so we did. And um, the next thing we know, we had more and more people reaching out to us and saying, you know, I also would love to be in this space. I also feel like I want to connect uh, with women of color who are doing the same work I'm doing. And so here we are almost four years later, four years later with, you know, 55 members, uh, 55 paid members. We now have paid memberships. We're in like, I don't know, 15 or 16 different states and in, in Canada. And it's a wonderful group. It's a wonderful network. We intentionally stay small because we don't, none of us are in this to make money. We're not trying to have five, six, 700 members. I know every single member's birthday. Oh Uh, yeah. So it's (laughs) um, intimate. Yes. Yes. And so I reach out to them on birthdays. I make calls during the week, just checking in, wanting to see how you're doing. And um, there are lots of stories. I had A 911 call uh, last week with one of my youngins, one of my young Mm. fundraisers, who was in her early 30s, about six or seven years into fundraising, called me in a panic because some some drama had happened at work. And I just said, "Okay, child, Uh, (laughs) let me mother you through this one. Uh, This too shall pass. In the meantime, start getting your resume ready. Yes. (laughs) Oh, how I love that. Because guess what? You don't have to stay in a place that you feel unhappy at or that you feel miserable at or you feel invisible at. You are so much more than that. And you need to find a place that's going to value you and see you. And you take your power back and make a decision uh, that this is not the place for you if that's how you feel. And so we just had that conversation. like we can't change some things, like? Right? you know, all the stuff you tell me about your supervisors, we can't change all that. But what we can change is you and your experiences and and what you uh, what you permit to be in your life. So so, so yeah, powerful all, all the time. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's so powerful. And Crystal, I will tell you, I had an executive director that I worked with, wonderful national organization. And the CEO executive director called me and said, You know, I have this wonderful fundraiser on staff, whom I, of course, I know. And she's bringing me unique challenges that she is experiencing as a fundraiser of color. And as a Caucasian woman, she said, I just can't coach her. I can't. I haven't walked that path. Right. What do you recommend? And of course, F3 came to mind. And so... She checked you out. She joined. I referred, I think it was the WOC, the Women of Color, and F3. I sent both resources, which, of course, we'll include in the show notes if anyone wants to check them out. They're both fantastic. But she joined, and she's just getting, just like you described, she's getting mentoring. She's getting collegiality. She's getting unique insights and understanding and guidance that this group is uniquely qualified, lived experience, expertise, to really coach and guide. And like you said, sometimes it's, let's try and work on these things and refresh your resume. And sometimes it's, let's lean into this. You know, we've got some things to work with. Like we can make some change here. Yes. And I I love that. I want to unpack a couple of things you said. Okay. You know, you talked about you know you've been let go from an organization or two over your career, as so many of us have, right? Sometimes it's not a great organization fit. Sometimes it's a the dynamic between the supervisor and the fundraiser. Sometimes it's values. It's a values challenge, or um, it's a culture issue. So what I love is that you took the time to reflect. And not just to reflect in a monologue, right? Because sometimes we have our our own self-defeating biases or self-defeating, you know, that little gremlin that can sit on our shoulder and say, maybe it's me. And those are good conversations to have. But only when you get into a dialogue with a trusted friend or colleague can someone say, honey, it's not you. (laughs) You know, right. or maybe it is, but you can have that dialogue and really unpack through, again, reflective dialogue. What is at the root of this issue and is it solvable? If so, what are some of the strategies or, you know, is it more investment than I'm willing to make right now? Right. I love that. And I think fundraisers need to hear that.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when... Um, At AFP 2022, my friend Cherian Koshy. Yes, I know Cherian. And Rachel Muir, we did a a session on our greatest fundraising fails. Uh, And people, the uh, fundraisers in the room, the people who talked with us before and after and emailed, people need to hear, they're hungry to hear that fundraisers don't come out of the box just perfect, right? Right. Right. That we there are a lot of lessons, there's a lot of reflection that needs to be done. And we all, you know, part of the growth. If you're not growing, if you're not failing, you're not stretching yourself and risking. So I love, loved that, Crystal. And then the other thing that I absolutely love that I had not heard of before is a Bravo box. <laughs> Everyone needs a Bravo box.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I just started collecting you know, my awards and my letters from donors and thank you notes, and I just kept them in one place. And every once in a while when I was having a moment, I'd pull that box out just to remind myself that I was doing good work. Because sometimes you just wonder, you know, nonprofits are like businesses, you know, there are a lot of politics, there are a lot of egos. Uh, and, you know, fundraising is thankless work sometimes, and, you know, we do all of the hard work to try to bring the donor into the fold, and often, once that big gift comes in, you're kind of pushed off to the side during the photo op. Yes. <laughs> you know, your CEO is standing there with the donor, I'm holding the big check, and you're like, I've been working on this donor for three years. <laughs> Can I at least have a foot in the picture? Can I at least put my elbow in?
0: <laughs> yes. You're right. So much of our work is shining that bright light on everyone else. Yes. So, Crystal, just with you sharing that, I envision you like opening the lid on your Bravo box and this bright light beaming onto you. Everyone. (laughs) Can't you just see it? I can just see it and
1: feel it. Yeah, I think we need to, you know, and I, some of the some of the awards and everything that um, are old. Like, I'm looking at this award here. I have an award right here in front of me. It's from 2012, right? The United Negro College Fund. I received an award for outstanding leadership. You know, this, bo- this award has gone in and out of boxes for years because it's old now. It's 10 years. But I decided to put it on my desk because while I'm working, sometimes when you just have those moments when you're like, ah. You know, and I'm reminded that I'm an outstanding leader. Yes. Oh, you know, and so just having that um, in front of me, even though this is, this award is ten years old, it's just a reminder that I'm awesome. Yes, you are. You have to remind yourself that because if you're expecting to hear that from other people, uh, <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be in a bad place. And so I just remind myself. Of all the good things. I'm not perfect. I certainly haven't done things perfectly my whole career, but I've done some wonderful things. And you have to just pat yourself on the back every once in a while. Mm,
0: So powerful. Well, (laughs) I am going to encourage all of our listeners to begin their own Bravo box.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I'm going to start mine too. Well done. All right. (laughs) We're only a few minutes in and already we're inspired to action. This is good.
1: (laughs) All right, Crystal, let's talk about boards. You're very passionate,
0: very passionate
1: about boards. I am, I am. I love working with boards. And so I, you know, I kind of fell up into the board space just like I fell up into fundraising, Tammy, after I I was burned out and decided I needed to try something else. I didn't want to leave the sector. I wanted to stay in the nonprofit sector because I love the work but i kept thinking where else can i have an impact how can i how can i still contribute and um, i just kept thinking about all those board meetings that i sat in for 25 years as a fundraiser watching <laughs> you know as a staff person you, you're often sitting on the side everyone else is sitting at the big table and you're sitting on the side you only stand up when they ask for your report Uh, but you're still in the room. And so I would watch, I would watch the dynamics between the board chair and the executive director. I would watch the dynamics between the board members themselves. And sometimes it was short of hilarious, but also sad because people were confused. You were clear. Some people, it was obvious that some board members didn't even know the mission. (laughs) There was sometimes tension between the board chair and the executive director. There was tension between board members. And I just decided, you know what, that's it. That's a place where I can take all that I've learned about building relationships, about telling the story, about being an advocate for a mission, about being accountable. Those are all the same responsibilities of a board member. And I can take all that I've learned as a fundraiser and I can transfer that over uh, into board work. So I just I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do this and make this my thing and i hung up my shingle not knowing what to expect Then the first few months you know I, I had some interest but in 2020 when when all hell broke loose we know what happened then yeah uh, everyone wanted a black consultant everyone wanted to um bring in someone to talk to them about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they wanted to diversify their boards, and they realized they had some conflicts, and they needed some conflict resolution, and of course, the old, I need fundraising help. So yeah, all of that just kind of opened Pandora's box for me, and I found out that I could really do this, and um, so it's been three years now, and I've not looked back. Yeah, I love it.
0: Well, and it's such needed work. It is it is. So, I recently read some really pretty disturbing stats about boards. Mm. I, I learned that less than 25% of board chair positions include women of color, or women in general, or people of color. Yes. I r- learned that 84% of nonprofit board members are white, and that women of color represent less than 4% of board seats. Yes. So how do good boards determine what board makeup should look like for their organization through the lens of expertise and influence, but also diversity, inclusion, equity, and access?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think first you have to look inward, right? You have to look and say, okay, what's the mission of our organization? What are we doing out here in this world, right? Who are the people that we're impacting, who are the people that we're serving, who are the beneficiaries of the work that we're actually doing. And if you take a look inward, and most of the folks you're working to, to help are people who don't look like the people on your board, you need to make a change. Yeah, ding ding. <laughs> ding ding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the old adage that the people who are closest to the problems have the solutions, are closest to the solutions. So um, you know, so for so many years, uh, those of us who uh, who have been on boards or who have worked for nonprofits, we've seen it. We've seen that at the top, we have folks who are making decisions about people with whom they have no, no they share no commonalities with. They, they are clueless about their lived experiences. They've been telling their stories through their own lens. And so now we're saying bring on people on your board who who understand what those experiences look like and feel like, and ask the people in the community that you're serving what their experiences are, ask them how they want their stories to be told. And so that's a whole shift in the way that things have been done, right? So shifting from leading at the top, I still believe that who's at the top matters, but I also believe, you know, maybe leading from the center a little bit works where we give everybody an opportunity to have a voice, including the people who we're serving. So I think all of those things matter. Looking at the community that you serve, look at the people um, in the community where your organization sits, particularly if you have a physical building, if you have a community center or after-school program, a library, whatever it is that your organization has, where does that building reside? You know, what community is patronizing that, that facility? And so Again, if those faces are brown, or if those faces are female, or if those those faces are indigenous, or handicapped, or whatever it is, people with disabilities, then we need to take a look to see who's on that board and who's there to, to really, you know, because right now they're vulnerable, but they can be powerful later if we do good work. So they need our voices to maybe be the voice for them now, but if we do a good job, of those same individuals can be powerful and tell their own story later. And that's what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. And, and, and really long overdue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think when, you know, Dr. Maya Angelou, she was famous for so many powerful quotes, but the one that's coming to mind right now is that when we know better, we do better. Exactly. And it's time for us to do better. Yes. Our friends at Bloomerang know the importance of year-end fundraising to a nonprofit's longevity and success throughout the year. We know that 50% of nonprofits receive a majority of their annual contributions from October to December. To learn how you can make the most of this giving season, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional fundraiser to get your copy of the 13 year-end fundraising tips. You know, one of the traps I think that nonprofit organizations can fall into as they do the work to have more um, board members who are representative of the communities that they serve and those lived experiences, they can stop short of truly achieving what their aim is. Meaning, they might recruit more people of color, or they might recruit and vote on the board more women or people who have. Uh, that lived experience, right? So whether they have a disability or whether they have had an addiction or a substance abuse issue and now are recovered, they can vote them on the board, but then sometimes fall short of actually listening to that group of people, right? So this is not a
1: checkbox.
0: This just needs to be true engagement. So speak to that a bit as our
1: board pro. Yeah, so I do a lot of work with one of my colleagues, Dr. Renee Rubin-Ross. We do a lot of work on inclusion and belonging. And we talk about that it's more than just diversity. It's not just inviting people onto your board or into the room or at the party, but how will they feel once they arrive? It's kind of like inviting people to your house for a a social event. And then when they get there, you're not prepared. You show up at the front door with curlers in your hair. And laundry on the front table (laughs) and dishes in the sink. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm done right now. It's kind of like the same thing. And so we tell people that before we even start talking about diversifying new boards, let's take a look inside. Let's go inside the house and see if the the dishes are in the the cupboard, you know, if the laundry is off the table. And so we, you know, before we can start doing that, we, we tell the board that they need to do their own work. They need to do a culture check. And there is a whole series of questions that we can go through with them to ask them, are you really ready to bring in different voices? People who will have lived experiences, people who eat different foods, people who live in, who listen to different music, who celebrate different holidays than you, who might dress differently, might come in in Muslim attire. Like, are you really ready to have this diversity that you say you want? And before we can do that, we ask them to do their own work. And that means taking a look inward. And so Renee and I go through a series of exercises and practices with them to kind of get them ready. And, you know, part of it is facing your own biases, many of which people will decline and deny. Oh, I'm not biased. I don't see color, which is problematic. So we go in and we say, let's start doing our own work first. And so we do a number of things. We have them tell race stories. We do some race caucusing where, um, You know, Renee takes the white folks into one space. I take the people of color in another space and we just kind of go in the room and we kind of have it out. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Let's brawl. Let's get into some of these real tough issues. And then we come back together as a large group and we share what we've learned. And basically what we've learned is the people of color are angry Mm -hmm. and the white people are scared. And so we talk about that. We talk about fear and anger a lot. And we try to create a space that's safe and brave. You know, we talk a lot about safe spaces, but we also want brave spaces where people feel comfortable speaking up and saying really what's on their heart and minds. And then we find this kind of a reconciliation. People just kind of come to a place where I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about what it was like to really be in her, his or her shoes. I never knew that about my what member sitting next to me. Um, you start giving people grace, when you uh, when you hear their stories and you realize, oh, my God, you know, you see someone and they're all put together. You know, they come into the board meeting. They have their little pocketbook and their glasses. their hair is done and everything. You you make up your mind what the story is about that person. You have no idea what that person's lived experience. You don't know what their childhood was like. You don't know what's going on at home. You don't know what's going on at work. And we make all kinds of assumptions and we judge people based on on what we think right? And so someone might say something in a meeting that's not flattering or that's offensive and we jump on that person, right? How dare you? I'm so offended without really knowing a little bit about that person's history. So by going through those exercises that Renee and I do, we really give people an opportunity to kind of show up. And I think it it helps people to kind of relax. We disarm people. We don't try to avoid discomfort because discomfort is necessary. We don't want people to feel guilt either, We just kind of want it to be, it is what it is. We have to own whatever it is. Whatever the biases that we have, let's own them. Let's get past them. And then once we do that individual work, then we can come back together as a board. And then we can start talking about what does our culture look like? What things can we do to change to make sure that everyone feels included? So if we have folks who don't have cars, maybe we change the location of our board meeting. Maybe we can't meet in the suburbs. You know, if we're going to have single moms, maybe we can't have a board meeting at 730 in the morning. We normally meet in September. but well, we're bringing this on some Jewish folks. There are a lot of Jewish holidays in September. So we can't have our board meetings during those times. Like there's just some things that we need to shift to sure. that we're taking into account that we're going to have different people at the table now.
0: Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is so many of the disconnects, so many of the conflicts, spoken or unspoken, are just deeply rooted in unawareness, like just simply not aware, thinking that my experience is the only, is everyone's experience, you know, give or take, or that, you know, there's this, these two extremes. Yeah, the truth is there's so much in between. Crystal, I love when you say we want to have conversations that are safe and brave. That really takes building a lot of trust. Yes. And so I'm I'm really taken by the, the inquiry there around, you know, how do healthy boards and CEOs and executive directors, board members, how do we hold one another accountable, especially when it comes to these courageous conversations? Um, how do we keep the conversation alive and healthy and productive after... The board pro has come in and done this incredible, transformative, led these conversations.
1: How do we keep it alive? Well, one of the things that we do is, you know, we talk a lot about what, what do we want our board to look like and feel like for our board members? You know, what do we want people to feel when they walk into the board meeting? The board meeting is the one time where you have them in the room. You have their attention. That. You know they've traveled in from wherever, or they, you know, they they put the kids and the husband and everyone aside for a moment so that they can come in and focus on your organization. When they walk into the room, how do you want them to feel? What music is playing? What food is is being served? What's happening in that room so that they they can come in, and breathe and say, okay, in my scrambled egg brain, with everything I have going on, I'm going to reserve just a little time now for what's about to happen, right? Yeah, (laughs) to be present, to be truly present. present. Exactly. So we talk a lot about culture and what that looks like and feels like. Is is it in a boardroom in a big building where there are mahogany chairs, or is it at someone's house? You know, is it comfortable? Is it a time where we can come in and Take you know, put our jeans on and and, and have a glass of wine. Well, what 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 do we want our culture to look like and feel? Is this a corporate board? Is this a relaxed board? And so we talk a lot about, about that, and then we write that down. This is our culture statement. This is and not only that. Let's talk about what behaviors are permissible or not permissible. Mm-hmm. It's not okay, okay to a board meeting twenty minutes late, being disruptive on the phone. You know, and it, so you know, there's we one organization and I came up with. If you can't get there within 15 or 20 minutes, then just miss this board meeting. We'd rather you miss it than come in and be disruptive. And now you're asking questions about things we've already discussed. Yes, (laughs) We'll send you the minutes. (laughs) But once we start our board meeting, we don't want any interruptions. We want everyone to focus and attention tuned into what's going on when someone's coming in and out that's disruptive. So we write down what it is that we want, what are our expectations? What is it that feels good for us? And we write that down and we sign off on that. And then if there is no board pledge, we create one, a board letter of agreement about what have I agreed to by sitting on this board? I have agreed to be... You know, an advocate for this organization. I know that I'm ethically, fiscally and morally responsible for what happens here. I know that we meet quarterly. I know that I'm responsible um, to help raise funds for the organization. I'm going to sit on one fundraising committee. I'm going to host a reception at my home this year. I'm going to make a five hundred dollar donation and I'm going to get a thousand dollars in addition to that. Write that all down. It's called a letter of agreement. It's called a board contract or a board pledge. And have every person sign off on that so that no one is confused. No one leaves the room wondering what it is that is expected of them by serving on this board. And then if someone violates that, what is the policy for, for violations? How will we handle if someone comes in late? If someone says something offensive, um, what, what will we do? And then follow through with that. So I think we have to hold ourselves responsible by first deciding what's right for our board. Every board is different. You've met one board, you've met one board, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So find out what is right for your board, write it down and then have people sign off on that. And then if there's a violation, then let's pull those agreements out and take a look at it again. Apparently some folks have forgotten what we discussed. (laughs) What they agreed to. Yes, yes, yes. But there's there's some
0: accountability there. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm also a big believer of making certain before someone comes on the board that they are very, very aware in writing what they have signed up for. So yes. it's, it's not like surprise, because, of course, we're just asking for disappointment, right? right? We're asking someone to do these myriad of things that they didn't sign up for. Yes. One of the things that I've noticed in working with some boards through the pandemic, is that, you know, some boards are just beginning to come back to meeting in person. Mm -hmm. Some are allowing board members to zoom in or whatever their mechanism for video conferencing is. And what I have found is that it's really hard for board members to build that trust and those bonds if they've been a zoom only board and they had no relationship prior
1: mm-hmm.
0: it feels like there's not enough trust for them to have safe and brave conversations what do you say to boards where they're really working to build that trust and perhaps they are still in a remote meeting
1: scenario yeah again i'm i'm back to who's at the top matters right and yeah. so Because I, you know, because I'm a founder of a network of 55 women, not all of whom are here in Atlanta with me, right? And so I'm real intentional about creating a culture where even if you live in St. Louis or if you live in Houston or if you're in California, that you feel like you're a part of our network. Right? And so I'm intentional about that as the founder. And so I do a lot of work outside of our meetings, like I'm calling people, I know people's birthdays, I'm sending birthday cards. So I'm doing all of that to create culture. As a development person, a development officer, when I was working in the nonprofit sector, in many of my roles, my position was to build relationship with the board. And so I had a box of greeting cards uh, in my desk, right? And so whenever I would hear, because you know, a lot of listening, Yes. Right. So whenever I would hear, oh, my wife is ill and she's going to be in the hospital or my daughter is getting married or we're expecting a grandbaby or I'm about to retire. I'm writing all of that down. And I'm going to I know that I'm going to either follow up with some kind of card, a greeting card, a note. I'm going to call and check in. How is your grandbaby? I know that she hadn't been feeling well. You know, how was the wedding? Oh, my God. I know you must be so excited. Your daughter just got married. or I know you're about to retire. What are you going to do once you retire? So relationships, Tammy. <laughs> even even when you're meeting via Zoom, relationships, it was all that I did as a fundraiser. It's all yes. that I do as a board consultant. It's all that I do as a founder of my network. It's about relationships, making people feel heard and seen and valued, even when you're only meeting via Zoom. You can create Zoom rooms that are warm, and welcoming. And people feel like, oh my God. And so that when you do meeting, because I, there's some of my members of F3 I've never met, but I'm calling, I'm sending them things. I'm constantly letting them know. I see you. Congratulations on the new job. Oh my God, girl, I'm so proud of you. Yes. Um, And people like, oh my God, I can't believe we never met. You feel like someone I've known for so long. It's intentional relationship building. It's radical relationship building. And so with our boards, we have to do the same thing. Boards, Our volunteers, their donors, we treat them like we treat our donors. We have to cultivate relationships with them. The board chair and the executive director should be meeting with each board member at least twice a year. A temperature check-in, how are you doing? How you feel about serving on the board? Do you feel like we're utilizing your skills optimally? Is there more that you'd like to do as a board member? How am I doing as an executive director? How am I doing as a board chair? What more would you like to see from me as a board, as as the leader of the board? And so I think that regardless of whether we're in person and I'm sitting eyeball to eyeball with you in person or whether I'm eyeballing you on these little square boxes on the computer, my responsibility as the board leader, as executive director, is to make you, Tammy, know that I see you and I understand you and you're important here. Your voice is important here. And we couldn't do this work without you.
0: Beautiful. And I love the phrase radical relationship building. And you're so right. There's no reason why those relationships and those bonds can't be formed outside of the virtual boardroom in in some situations. And we as development professionals working with our executive directors, we have the opportunity to facilitate that, not just one-to-one, but even in small groups. I love that. And I'm just going back to something you said earlier. We decide how our board looks and feels. And I think sometimes we focus on looks and stop there. But if we truly want boards that can transform, boards that can empower, boards that have the courage to set big, hairy, audacious goals, bold visions, yes this yes. is the work that needs to be done. Yes. Oh, you've inspired me. I actually, you actually gave me goosebumps a couple of times already. <laughs> and the other thing that I just thought, well, you know with those, all those notes, all those emails of encouragement, those special acknowledgments... You not only have a Bravo box, I suspect you are in so many Bravo boxes.
1: Oh, wow, Tammy, thank you. That is so kind of you.
0: Yeah, I never well, thought about that. Yeah, and that I think that's an opportunity for all of us. Yes, have one and be part of one. Yes, I love
1: that. Have one and be in one. Yes, yes, okay. I love it. Yes. Mm, 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 mm.
0: All right, Crystal, so much good information. <laughs> At the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid-fire questions just to add a little extra value for our listeners. Yes. Are you are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First question. What's the best fundraising advice you've ever received?
1: 90% of fundraising is cultivation and relationship building. It's not about the ask.
0: Yeah. Amen. Love it. What book do you recommend to our audience in why, in addition to mac and cheese <laughs> and, and collecting courage and collecting courage? <laughs> yes. You know, I, I thought about that
1: question. I have so many books that I could recommend, but what popped up for me today was Find Your Why by Simon Sinek. Mm, yes, I love this book. It prompts you to read and then answer questions. There are exercises in here, and if you can find your why, why are you why are you doing this work? Um, that'll answer a lot of questions for you. Yeah, beautiful.
0: <laughs> Crystal, what are the three most important traits a successful fundraising professional
1: must possess? Oh, goodness. I think you have to have a little charisma. Yes. Yeah, you have to be a people person. You have to be genuine. You have to really care. <laughs> and then um, follow up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Yes. Follow
0: up. All three of those. Perfect. Yes. What's your favorite fundraising
1: tool or application? I would say fundraising tool is definitely the case for support. You know, that case support in and out, you can fundraise anything. You can ask for anything. If you know the the why, the how, and the how come you could fundraise and, and sell anything, promote anything. Um, and then, of course, I love the the software uh, where you can go in and actually capture all of the notes. I, I think it's so important. I was a big note taker when I was a fundraiser. I would put in all kinds of details. You know, Bob is in his 60s. He's a black man. He has gray hair. His wife has blue eyes. Her name is Hazel. Like, so the person coming in behind me would have all of that information. You know, his mother used to be on the board. I remember one time I called someone and she said, oh yeah, years ago when my mom sat on the board. And I was like, oh, I didn't know your mom sat on the board. So I think yeah. putting in your notes in, in those software systems, whether whether it's Razor's Edge or Salesforce or whatever. So those tools are so important. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it imagine walking, into an organization as a new to this position and having notes with that kind of detail yes such a gift such a gift and I'm a big believer in the case for support as well and I'm always working with groups and telling them the case for support is not just for capital campaigns
1: Mm -hmm. yes
0: yes yeah we need one and it needs to be revisited frequently yes All right. So, Crystal, this next question could get you into a lot of hot water. Uh Uh-oh. I know you speak at many, many conferences. Which is your favorite fundraising conference and why?
1: Oh, my goodness. Tammy! (laughs) We won't tell. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite? Oh, my goodness. I'll have to say the African-American Development Offices Network. We had a conference in D.C. earlier this year, and it was such a warm, wonderful conference. And I saw a lot of my friends and colleagues in the profession that I had not seen since, you know, of course, in many years before COVID. It was not just a conference for African-Americans. There were lots of folks there from different backgrounds. And just to see the mixture of people from small organizations, large organizations of different races, of different titles, it was just wonderful. So I would say this year. Uh, the AADL conference was my favorite.
0: Oh, and I have heard that from a couple of people. So it's definitely one to watch, one to attend the next time it's that it comes around. Very good. All right. Last question. Crystal, knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just starting off in the profession?
1: I would say, remember why you do this work. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's for me, like I said, I connect fundraising to, to my faith. And I believe when I ask people to give to something wonderful, that's going to change the lives of something wonderful, that that is what God would want me to do. So I would just say, remember, even during those times when you're in the valleys, just pull back on your, why, why are you doing this work? And for me, it was, I'm pleasing God. I'm doing something good. That's going to make someone else's life better and that will make God happy. And therefore I'm I'm doing what God wants me to do. Yeah.
0: Really beautiful. And so who I know you to be. That's so good. And again, redolent of Simon Sinek, start with why. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us, Crystal. This was so much fun, Tammy. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're just so honored and delighted to have you. So listeners, if you want to learn more about Crystal, The Board Pro, or Fabulous Female Fundraisers. We've included links in the show notes. We've also included links to her social handles and links to check out the books that we've mentioned uh, here, Uh, Collecting Courage, Mac and Cheese, Cheese. Start With Why, there's mac and cheese. (laughs) So, so good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. And keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now. Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. Learn why fundraisers love using Bloomerang and grab your copy of the 13 year-end fundraising tips ebook at bloomerang.com forward slash intentional fundraiser. The link is in the show notes. That's it for this episode of The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag TheIntentionalFundraiser and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community, where I go live twice a month with my members, with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night, where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level. By teaching ways you can improve your development operations, create a results-driven, donor-centric development plan, strengthen donor relationships, improve your donor retention rates, and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. You can learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.